Welcome to this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them I don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, And you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so just to remind you, we are now on week three of the Ease Endo Tea Challenge. You can still join. uh, You can join right up to the end. It's a four-week challenge. Um, Once you joined up, you'll get a link to an archive page where you can just kind of catch up at your own pace and read the previous emails. So if you're interested in doing that, then have a read of what the challenge involves. The link is in the show notes. In this four week challenge, you will use four different types of simple teas to ease your endo symptoms. Each week, you'll learn about a new herb or spice and the benefits for endometriosis and exactly the symptoms they're reducing why. We'll look at some of the root causes of your symptoms and how these wonder herbs and spices can help you to tackle them. Now, clearly, just drinking tea is not the entire solution to managing endo, but this challenge is designed to ease you into the new year and into managing your endo symptoms with some quick hacks that will get you back on track so you can build back up your energy and your health and move into the rest of the year with the motivation and well-being to manage your endo. In this challenge, we'll be reducing pelvic pain and inflammation, bloating, abdominal pain and digestive discomfort, hormonal symptoms like heavy periods, PMS and low moods, and fatigue and brain fog. The Ease Endo Tea Challenge is perfect for anyone who is new to managing endo holistically and naturally, or anyone who wants some help recovering from any Christmas-induced flares, or anyone who simply just wants to begin the new year with some extra tips and tricks for managing endo. 
As I said, the challenge kicks off on Monday the 10th, but you can you can join at any time. To sign up, just click the link in the show notes and register. I'm looking forward to getting cozy and drinking tea with you all. Oh, and P.S. The teas won't be provided, but they are affordable. The challenge is free, but the teas you'll have to go and buy. They should in total cost between five to ten pounds, depending on the brands you choose. And many are kitchen staples that you can pick up in the supermarket for a pound on the spice aisle, or you might already have in your cupboard. So it might be completely free for you. Okay, that's it. Let's get to the show. We talk a lot about estrogen on this show. So today I wanted to give you a complete lowdown on estrogen, what it does, how it benefits you and how it can affect you when things go wrong. Now, before we go ahead, I just want to share a trigger warning. I do talk about reproduction and pregnancy in this episode. It's not a huge part of it, but because of the role that estrogen plays in the body, I do have to mention it once or twice. So please feel free to skip this episode if you need to. And a second trigger warning, I do talk about weight and weight loss very, very briefly in this episode in relation to estrogen. The piece is coming up. Let me just quickly tell you guys where it will be. When we're looking at the different causes of elevated estrogen, it is the last point. So it is the point after endocrine disruptors. So just forward by like a minute and you'll skip that bit. So let's start with what estrogen does in the body. Estrogen is what fuels the growth of hips, breasts, the start of the menstrual cycle, and in short, the onset of puberty. Estrogen is responsible for fertile cervical fluid, thickening the uterine lining and kicking off ovulation, and it boosts serotonin production, which is not just crucial for cognitive function, but also helps us to feel more energized, sociable, and positive. Estrogen, alongside testosterone, increases libido. Estrogen actually increases the blood flow to the pelvic area and this heightens sensation and arousal. Basically, this combination of feeling more energized, more positive, more lubricated, having heightened sensations, etc. All of these changes are ultimately an attempt to get us pregnant. This is why if you have a partner, you may overlook certain issues or see your relationship in a really positive light during those phases only to find them irritating you or to have those issues resurfacing in your luteal phase. Now, of course, you might not want to get pregnant, but that's estrogen's intention. Now, that's not estrogen's only intention or only benefit. Estrogen is also crucial for bone density. This is why you can get brittle bones after menopause, heart health, and cognitive function, not to mention there is a huge list of organs and roles in the body that benefit from estrogen. And this is because nearly every single cell in the body has estrogen receptors. So estrogen is not just about reproduction or menstrual health. It plays such a crucial role in keeping the body healthy overall. Now, if the above doesn't sound like your experience of estrogen, like a kind of a positive experience, I get it. The phases of the cycle we're going to cover today are normally when people who don't have endo have more energy, feel more outgoing, more optimistic, etc. But for some of us with endo, we're worn out from our period in the first half of our follicular phase. And then as we reach ovulation, we start to get pain. 
And I know clients whose worst endo flares were or are around ovulation. So I understand if this doesn't resonate with you. But at this stage, I'm just sharing the purpose of estrogen. And in a little while, I'll briefly touch on why you may be struggling with estrogen and why you may be struggling with these phases. But first, let's talk about what's happening with estrogen in your cycle. So you really get a kind of overarching view of what's going on. So estrogen is at its lowest point during menstruation and tends to stay low for the first one to two days, but begins slowly rising around day three. This rise occurs because estrogen is made from maturing follicles in the ovaries. Now think of follicles like water balloons with an egg in the middle. A couple of these are picked to begin maturing and then by days five to seven, one of these follicles is picked and will eventually go on to release that one egg that bursts through the ovary during ovulation. As these follicles develop, they begin to make testosterone, which is largely converted into estrogen. You'll tend to feel a change in mood and energy around day three as that handful of follicles slowly begin to produce estrogen. And then at about day seven-ish, once the queen follicle has been chosen, you'll get a real surge of estrogen and you'll move into the second half of your follicular phase. The estrogen production really gets underway here and continues to climb right up until ovulation as that main egg, that one egg, really starts to mature. During this process, estrogen is working on thickening the uterine lining, but it's also supporting lubrication and helping to create fertile cervical fluid. Initially, just after your period, you're likely to you're likely still feel dry, but as estrogen rises, you'll begin getting a pasty lotion type fluid in your underwear and you may feel a little lubricated from time to time but not noticeably so. Now as I mentioned estrogen continues to rise in increasing levels thanks to the queen follicle growing and maturing and as we get closer to ovulation we'll begin getting a sticky almost clear egg white like fluid that's very like um, it's very wet it's very um, stretchy and we'll feel very lubricated. This is fertile cervical fluid. Once estrogen reaches its peak, this peak triggers a cascade of hormonal shifts which trigger ovulation. Without this peak, ovulation just can't occur. After this peak, estrogen drops, ovulation occurs, and progesterone then dominates over estrogen. Estrogen is still present, but it's lower than progesterone and it continues to decrease. However, shortly before your period begins, we get another brief surge in estrogen and this occurs to support possible implantation of a fertilized egg. And you'll notice similar cervical fluid that you had before and around ovulation, but it's no longer cervical fluid. It just looks the same. Now, of course, if you are pregnant, then further changes will occur with your hormones. But if not, estrogen drops down again to the lowest point in your cycle and menstruation begins. Now, a side note, which is really a whole episode in itself. If you're feeling depleted when estrogen is rising, we need to look at why. It could be that you lost too much iron and magnesium due to heavy bleeding, so we need to work on lightening that. And actually, we'll talk about why you may have heavy bleeding later on. It could be that you you had horrendous endo pain on your period that wiped you out. 
So we need to look at lowering inflammation and using other tools and practices to lower that pain. It could be that you have low cortisol levels or HPA axis dysregulation, which is common in endo and leaves you feeling constantly fatigued or fatigued in the mornings. If you're having pain towards ovulation, we need to consider whether you're sensitive to histamines, which rise with rising estrogen, or whether you have too high levels of inflammation, which is naturally part of the ovulatory process, but can cause pain in excess. Or perhaps you have an adhesion from surgery tugging on your ovaries that makes ovulation particularly painful. Or of course, you might have an endometrioma. Or you might be struggling to make serotonin in your body, hence why even though your estrogen is rising, you're still mentally not feeling good. So these are some of the considerations to make and everything I've listed can be helped, addressed, reduced, or even entirely resolved depending on your body and the circumstance and what the current issue is. Now, of course, that's what my work is all about. So scroll through my episodes to see which ones might help you with your personal issues during this phase, because that's just a whole bunch of different things to try and squeeze in this episode. And today we're just talking about estrogen specifically. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. So, back to estrogen. Here's what might go wrong. Let's look at the first part of the cycle. We know we want estrogen to reach its peak, but one possible scenario is that it doesn't get there because your estrogen levels are low. Low levels of estrogen can occur from the pill or other forms of hormonal birth control or hormonal treatment designed to lower estrogen or stop ovulation. Stress, so stress can lower sex hormones because reproduction is not a priority to the body in times of stress. And if you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, stress back in the caveman days was literally famine or wild animals trying to attack us or exclusion from our tribe, which made us really vulnerable, you know, real life or death situations. So the priority was survival, not reproduction. You know, in many cases, it wouldn't be safe to raise a baby in those kinds of scenarios. The body is not trying to get you pregnant. Additionally, the stress response requires a lot of energy and resources from the body. The stress response literally diverts blood, glucose, etc. away from non-essential functions like reproduction and redirects them to the brain, heart and muscles. A one-off acute bout of stress probably won't do much damage because the body was designed to cope with acute moments of stress. But chronic or prolonged stress can end up delaying or stopping ovulation entirely. Low calorie or low nutrient intake or over-exercising can also lower estrogen and potentially stop ovulation. So the follicles require energy and nutrients to mature and to reach the point where ovulation can occur. So depriving the body of these nutrients and calories can end up slowing their growth, preventing enough estrogen from being made and ultimately delaying ovulation or stopping it. Additionally, under eating 
and or over-exercising is a stressor on the body. So again, resources and energy are preserved for the stress response and directed away from the menstrual cycle process. Now, here's the thing. You may be thinking that low estrogen isn't a problem for you because you're having a period still. That's not true. You can still have a period if you haven't ovulated or if you have low estrogen. This is because whether it got to the thickness it needed or not, you still have some uterine lining to shed and eventually that estrogen is going to drop whatever your levels are and that will kick off a shedding of the lining. Symptoms of low estrogen include dyspareunia or, or painful sex. Now, of course, we need to consider that painful sex may also be from endometriosis or tight pelvic floor in many cases. Night sweats, low levels of cervical mucus or vaginal dryness, low to non-existent libido, joint pain, low mood, brain fog and low energy, infrequent periods or no period at all or a prolonged cycle, dry eyes and dry skin. Low estrogen is linked with heart disease and a lack of bone density, so it's really important to get addressed if this seems to be an issue for you. Now, not everyone will have signs, all of the signs of low estrogen, but if you have a couple, then it could be worth getting your estrogen levels checked. So now let's look at the other scenario, high estrogen levels or estrogen dominance. So this can look like a few different scenarios. Low estrogen, but even lower levels of progesterone in the second half of the cycle, which means estrogen is dominating over progesterone in this phase when it should be the other way around. High estrogen and normal progesterone. Again, estrogen is dominating over progesterone, but it is also actually high. High estrogen and low progesterone or normal estrogen and low progesterone. A few things can create these scenarios. Low progesterone, in which case we need to look at why that's low, and that tends to be lack of ovulation, caused by stress, dysregulated blood sugar, etc. An overburdened liver, so your liver processes and packages up used estrogen, and it then filters it into the gut for removal in your daily bowel movements. When the liver is overwhelmed by environmental toxins, excess alcohol and sugar, caffeine, smoking, or even everyday chemicals from your beauty and body products, it will prioritize getting rid of those because they're more harmful than estrogen. As a result, your estrogen levels stack up in the bloodstream. And additionally, it's worth mentioning here that alcohol actually raises estrogen levels as well. So having an overburdened liver or having a lot of alcohol can raise your estrogen levels. Blood sugar dysregulation, which increases estrogen levels in the blood body. Endocrine disruptors, which are chemicals and toxins which affect or mimic hormones. Some of the most disruptive being xenoestrogens, which mimic estrogen in the body and are now shown to be the reason young girls are getting their periods so early. Now, just a side note, if you get your hormone levels tested, these won't show up in the test. So these xenoestrogens won't show up in the test because the test is measuring estrogen, which these toxins are not. They just mimic it. Excess fat cells. Now, I really want to be clear here. This isn't about being sizist or fat shaming, but I'm just reporting on what we know from the research. Fat cells can also raise estrogen. And so the more we have, the higher the levels of estrogen in the body generally that doesn't mean we need to have no body fat at all. That would actually stop ovulation and isn't healthy. But generally, the research is showing that obesity 
is linked to estrogen dominance. Now you can do whatever you like with this information and I do not recommend you start focusing on dramatic weight loss, but it's important to share all of the information and not just provide you with selective info so that you at least have it all and then you can decide what's relevant to you. Please talk to a doctor if you have any concerns about weight and estrogen levels. Get your estrogen levels checked. Don't just assume that you have high levels of estrogen and don't try to start losing weight on your own in an unsafe way if this is what you're planning to do. I'm not recommending weight loss here at all. I don't do anything about weight loss. Sometimes people ask me about weight loss and I'm like, I literally can't. That is not my area. I'm not specialized in that at all. So this is not me giving you advice on this. But what I'm saying is if you if you are for some reason personally interested in weight loss, please talk to your doctor and in an ideal scenario, do it with a dietitian or nutritionist, someone who can ensure that you're safe. Now, symptoms of estrogen dominance or high estrogen levels include worsening endometriosis symptoms, swollen and tender breasts and maybe breast cysts, worsening PMS or PMDD, heavy periods, clotty periods, painful periods, mood swings, ovulation pain, brain fog, bloating and water retention, especially in the second half of your cycle, and a worsening of conditions linked to estrogen dominance like fibroids and endometriosis. Now, this is where the connection to endo comes in. Estrogen thickens the uterine lining, largely through proliferation, which is a process of cells growing and dividing to make more cells. So cells that have estrogen receptors can also grow too, which is how estrogen forms breasts. But we know that many endometriosis cells contain estrogen receptors, though not all of them, as we've come to learn from the research. And so having high levels of excess estrogen could potentially worsen the endometriosis. However, this isn't a call to go straight on the pill to lower estrogen. You've already heard the risks of low estrogen, but the pill won't necessarily stop endometriosis growth because endometriosis doesn't just rely on estrogen to grow. In fact, if some of your endocells don't have estrogen receptors, it won't be a contributing factor at all. Endo also uses histamines, prostaglandins, excess iron and other chemicals to grow. Additionally, endometriosis makes its own estrogen supply. So cutting estrogen production off at the ovaries doesn't actually solve the estrogen problem. Often what doctors are doing with the pill is suppressing symptoms, but they can't guarantee growth suppression and the pill only works for a portion of endo patients. Now, everyone has to do what works for them. So please, please, please do what is right for you. If it works for you, great. But I just wanted to briefly raise this. A quick side note on this, by the way, is that curcumin in animal studies has been shown to reduce levels of estrogen directly in their endometriosis cells. So whilst we don't have the same evidence in humans yet, it's a really exciting development. Now, of course, having estrogen dominance or excess estrogen not only creates a set of symptoms that look a lot like endo symptoms, like heavy bleeding, cramps, fatigue, ovulation pain, etc., but it also exacerbates endo symptoms too. So what can you do if you suspect you have an estrogen imbalance? Well, it of course depends on whether you have low estrogen or excess estrogen or estrogen dominance. Either way, working to support your overall hormone health will help you with both scenarios. So everything we cover on the podcast, such as nutrition, blood sugar balance, stress management, sleep, supporting the liver, etc., 
These may all sound like the foundations of a general healthy lifestyle, and that's exactly right. You need a healthy lifestyle for your hormones to thrive. If you want to test your levels, you can get a simple blood test on day three of your period for estrogen and day 21 of your cycle for progesterone. Now, these are only going to give you a snapshot of what your cycle is doing during this time. Your estrogen might look fine on day three, but by day 21, it might be way higher than your progesterone or your body might be struggling to filter it out. So if you do want to go a bit further, a Dutch test will give you an in-depth look at your hormones with the most comprehensive being a Dutch cycle mapping test, which is gonna show you what your hormones are doing every day of your cycle. Often testing isn't necessary at first. I prefer to go through the foundational changes with my clients first, and then if they're still not responding, we then test. So where do you get started? One of the most foundational changes you can make for your hormones is balancing your blood sugar. And this is almost where I start with nearly every client who shows signs of hormonal problems. I have several episodes and articles on balancing blood sugar, and I also, of course, cover it in my courses and masterclasses, so you know you can pick whatever suits you best. That is one of the best places that I would start. So I hope this episode has given you a deeper insight into the wonders of estrogen. And as you can see, the ideal is healthy levels of estrogen rather than demonizing it and wanting to get rid of it completely. Oh, P.S., just to let you know, your GP should be able to do the day three and day 21 test for your estrogen progesterone. Uh, Their ranges might be a little bit different from um, conventional ranges, uh, sorry, functional medicine ranges, which are optimum, but you can fairly easily get the ranges from online. I think Nicole Jardim has them. I'm pretty sure that Dr. Jolene Brighton has them up on her website as well. Obviously, if you're working with me one-on-one, we go through it together. And the Dutch test is quite a lot more expensive. So you could go for your GP for the blood test, um, or you could pay privately. You're looking at about 70 to 100 pounds. The Dutch test is a couple of hundred. So just wanted to put that out there and let you guys know that those are the options. So I hope you found this episode helpful. Let me know if you learned anything about estrogen and whether you have noticed any signs or symptoms for you or whether your estrogen is feeling good. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.